Lord, forgive me for playing Twisted Sister in church. Amen. <laughs> Jim was liking I saw him dancing up there as he was coming off the stage. If you're in, if you're in kindergarten through uh, fifth grade, we have a Kids Connection for you this morning. Don's teaching. I know Bryce is here and uh, JD's here. So uh, you guys will have fun. We, we won't do any more rock and roll music without you, I promise. You're going, I'm going to stay in there. Uh, the rest of you, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We begin a new series this morning. My life, my rules. Uh, I did not put that video together, so I borrowed the title and, and some uh, inspiration from the series from another church that has that had done it. And uh, they put that video. I'll play another one for you next week. We're not playing it half as loud as I'd like, but... Uh, uh, but, but it's probably louder than you'd like. I, I don't know what it is about growing up in the, in the 80s. You like your music loud. When I was a kid, my parents were constantly telling me to turn it down. When my kids were kids, they were constantly telling me to turn it down as well. Um, uh, yet I still have my hearing because I say this. I never liked going to concerts. They were, they were too loud. I went to two concerts in my life, and both times... Uh, my ears were ringing. I remember one Saturday, we'd gone to a concert on Friday night. On Saturday, I had to mow the lawns at my house. I couldn't hear the lawnmower. <laughs> like, that's it. No more concerts for, for me. And <clears throat> um, So, all right, enough of my, my history. This is a great question for your, your small groups, family discussions, uh, after church lunches. lunches but ask the, these questions. Um, what was the best rule when you were growing up, and what was the worst rule? What was the worst rule when you were going, growing up, and what was the best rule? Couldn't you have fun with that? I'd just throw that out to you today to have that conversation in your small groups, your family at some point. And I'll share with you mine. So the best rule we were growing up was known as the ice cream rule. The ice cream rule was simply this. Whoever scoops out the ice cream into the bowls is the last person that gets to choose one of the bowls. You understand that? I grew up uh, two brothers, so three boys, and so you can understand the fights over ice cream. So my parents made the ice cream rule, and you could weigh that ice cream down to the nearest gram, and it would be, by the way, a gram is like less than a tenth of an ounce. They would weigh exactly the same. The worst rule, you probably had this rule, uh, is when you have puppies, right? If you see the dog poop, pick it up. That was the worst rule. We had our own rule. If you see the dog poop, step over it, <laughs> uh, for which we got in trouble uh, uh, a lot. Um, we have this kind of love-hate relationship with rules. This is interesting. Human beings are not anti-rule. You'd think so. You'd think if we were listening to Twisted Sister, what they say, we don't, we're not, we don't want any rules. But isn't it odd? I mean, think of it in a uh, philosophic sense. They're making a rule. What's their rule? No rules. <laughs> Human beings are not anti-rules. We simply have those rules we like, and we have those rules we don't like. When you were the one dishing out the ice cream, you hated the ice cream rule. Because if you made a mistake and put a little bit too much in one bowl, it wasn't yours. If you were one of the choosers of the ice cream bowls, you loved the ice cream rule. And you were hoping, you tried to distract the scooper, you were hoping they made a mistake so you got to choose uh, the bowl with more ice cream in it. So in this series, My Life, My Rules, we want to talk about the rules that God has given to us in our relationship with God. If we have difficulty with rules in our homes and in our own lives, 
It also applies to our relationship with God and our relationship with His rules. How do we come to trust His rules? How do we come to follow His rules? And even I want to ask this question. We'll probably get into this more next week, but how do we come to love His rules? Does that sound strange to our ears? In this culture, it should, but it's so possible. How do we come to love His rules? So if you have your, your bulletin, and uh, did I leave mine? Oh, here it is, right here. I want you to follow along. I hope you'll take some notes this morning, and I'll do my best to, to give you these blanks as we go through. But I have here some rules about God's rules. So rules about the rules. And you know we're talking about the Ten Commandments there. And the first rule is this. This applies everywhere. You cannot follow the rules until you choose the ruler. You cannot follow the rules until you choose the ruler. To follow someone's rules, you have to make them your ruler. You have to give up your right to rule. We do this all the time. When we get on the road, when you drive, wherever you drive, you want to follow your rules. You want to be the ruler and go as fast as you want to go. But you don't because the person who made the rules for the road, that ruler has the power to give you a ticket. And so because of that, you choose a different ruler when you drive, normally, hopefully, <laughs> than yourself because you don't want to get a ticket. When we come to Christ, we have to realize that we are choosing, if we are true followers of Jesus, a different ruler. The changing of rulers applies also to our life in Christ. So I think this is the only whiteboard moment we have this morning. My whiteboard hasn't grown bigger yet. I keep praying for that, but it'll happen one day. I have a, few thing, a couple things up here already. One says, my life on this side. On that side, it says, says God's life. So just to explain, this is what happens when we come to know Jesus. And you can actually see this. This is attested in the New Testament. It works somewhat, somewhat like this. We hear this good news about Jesus, and we talked about our mission in the previous series, and our mission is to tell others uh, the good word about Jesus, and we sum that up in uh, using Paul's guidance there in Acts, I think it was 22, that uh, the message is basically that Jesus forgives us and that he gives us new life, all right? So suddenly we hear about God's life, and this is what piques our interest. I think this is why one reason we first come to, to Jesus uh, I'll write a few things down. We get forgiveness. All right, we're forgiven. Uh, we hear that God becomes our Father. I'm just thinking of reasons we, we like the idea of God's life. So we get a, a Heavenly Father. I'll just put HF there. Um, uh, there uh, is, uh, oh, eternal life. I'll do EL for that. That's okay. That's a good thing. We want God's life because in God's life you have eternal life. Uh, and then there are other things uh, we call benefits and promises. We, stand, we sing about promises this morning. There's joy. There's peace. Uh, love. Yeah, actually, love overrules all these. Uh, love is first. Yeah, there's, there's love. There's freedom. Would you put that there? Freedom to choose to obey God. That is something we get in God's life. All this sounds good. So we receive Jesus, and we, we receive it mainly because we want these things. But then we have what you might call a, a, a crisis moment. And I would, one thing I would add here is also 
the things that, in a negative sense, no bitterness, no hatred, you get community. There's all kinds of things. I was looking in my notes that we could add there. No judgment. But what we don't realize is we have to abdicate the throne of our lives. We want this life. Nobody doesn't want this life. But sometimes we choose Jesus, we're following Him, and we come to this crisis moment. We realize, oh, it's not just about having these benefits. I also have to give up my right to rule. Because here's where we, we end up being oftentimes. My life, my rules. That is a horrible R. My life, my rules. We find that we are trying to have God's life, but we're still living as the ruler by our rules in our life, still living the way or, or for a life that we want, how we want our lives to be. And so I will define, when we are the ruler of our lives, we are trying to create the life we want. In other words, I'll give you some minds. Uh, we're still focused on my career, how I want my life to turn out, my career, my plans, my time, how I want my time to be spent, how I want my plans, my future, Oops. my stuff, am I hitting home here, <laughs> how I want my church to be, how I want my family to be, my kids to be, and we could go on. What you realize is you have chosen God's life, but you're still living by your rules, and you've not accepted God's life and God's rules. You've not accepted Him as the ruler. I want to write something over here so you, you see this. I'm just going to put it in red. This is what we call a crisis. The crisis is this. Who's in charge? And suddenly you realize you want all of God's life, but you're still living by your rules as the ruler. So there's a middle column here. It looks like this. This is the life that many Christians create. And you may have heard this before because I've, I've shared this with you. This is the life many Christians create. It looks like this. God's life. My rules. And God's life, my rules, is really no different than my life, my rules. Except that I'm hoping that even though I'm living as my own ruler, I can still experience the promises of God's life. When you live God's life, my rules, you go to church. You read your Bible. You try to live a good life. In fact, that's one of the, your, the mantras of this. Is I want to be a good person. You know that we'll get here in this series, I think, but God doesn't want us to be good. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be like Him. Now, you end up being good, but His first and foremost desire for us is that we should be holy. And this looks good on the outside. 
because I'm doing all the activities, what it looks like living God's life, but I'm still living by my rules. And when you live God's life, my rules, it simply doesn't work. You end up frustrating. You end up sometimes bored. <laughs> you end up apathetic. You end up without conviction. You, you, can, you can end up being um, dis, disappointed because it simply doesn't work unless God is your ruler. You can't have God's life. You cannot follow Jesus and continue to be the ruler of your life. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, I like that way he says that. If anyone would come after me, it's almost like a chasing. If anyone would run to me, he must deny themselves. No more being the ruler. He must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. If you drive on a government road by your rules as the ruler, what happens? You either get a ticket or you get an accident, right? Because, you know, the two main uh, rules when I drive, if, if I were to drive by my rules, here's, here's how they would be. There would be two. Go as fast as I want and pay no attention to anything that says stop or yield or slow down. <laughs> so if you drive on the government's road by your rules, bad things happen. Hey, let's just make it a, a, a kind of a, a comical or light example. If you go to the movies by your rules, you miss the movie. You go to the movies to watch a movie, right? But if you're there following your rules and you get out your phone and you're on it and texting or calling or talking to someone, you're still the ruler. You're not following the rules of the theater. You miss the movie. Let's say you're a bowler and you're a good bowler. And as a bowler, you decide you want to become a golfer. And so you start golfing, but you're still following bowling rules. Now, in bowling, it's the highest score wins. And you decide, I'm going to follow bowling rules even though I'm now a golfer. And you are the worst golfer ever. Actually, you're the second worst golfer ever. I'm the worst. <laughs> Why are you the worst golfer ever? Because you didn't abdicate the ruler. You didn't accept the ruler or golf rules. You were still going, living by bowling rules. And if we try to live God's life by our rules without making Him the ruler of our life, we will be the worst Christians ever. If we could even say we are Christians in this category. You cannot follow the rules until you choose the ruler. The second rule is this. You can only follow God's rules if you revere the ruler. You can only follow God's rules if you revere the ruler. Now, I want to take you through uh, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through uh, 18 this morning. We won't read every single word just because of time, but I, I do think it's important that we review the Ten Commandments this morning uh, in this series because we may not have reviewed them in a while. This is the first time the Ten Commandments are given. They're given a second time in the book of, of Deuteronomy, which, which actually literally means second law, not another law, but repeated. But before we go through these commandments, I want to point something out to you that's, that's very, a couple things out to you, very important. So uh, first I want to show you, uh, look at verses 1 and 2. Are you there with me, Exodus 20? God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's just the introduction. So picture where they are. They're at Mount Sinai. Some of you know this story. 
And God begins to give them the Ten Commandments, and God is speaking them here. They're not being written down at this point. He is speaking them. But He first reminds them what He's done and who He is. And in a word, He's the Savior. He's their Savior. He took them out of Egypt. In Egypt, who was their ruler? Pharaoh, right. And what was Pharaoh's rule doing? They had enslaved them, and he was killing them. It was leading to their death. And now they are out of Egypt. And if you read the story through Exodus and Leviticus, you'll see that they were still wanting to follow their old ruler, Pharaoh. (laughs) But God has led them out. He is their Savior. He has freed them so they they can follow Him. Notice the motive here. We get this wrong when we don't slow down in verses one and, and, uh, verse 1. The motive here is, sorry, 1 and 2. The motive here is love. God's not giving these rules to say, okay, this is what I want you to do. This is how it will be in my house. These rules are because I want you to, not only did I save you and freed you, I want you to remain free. I want you to remain saved. I want you to belong to me. I want you to skip towards uh, the the end of where we're reading this morning and and look at verse 18. I'm going to read 18 and 19. It says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself. We will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Continue on. Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Okay. God's not into light shows. So why the thunder? Why the lightning? Why all this stuff? It's because God, it says clearly here, wants to demonstrate to them their need to revere Him. Now, our Bibles say fear, and that's a good translation. The problem with the word fear is in English it can mean afraid, and it can mean reverence. That's why I just want to clarify that here God doesn't want them to be afraid. If He wanted them to be afraid, then He would want them to run away. He wants them to stay near. But when they see these signs of reverence, did you notice what they wanted to do? Run away. God wants us to revere Him and His commands, not run from Him and His commands. When you revere something that's worth reverence, it's very good. And when you choose not to revere, respect, fear something that's worthy of reverence, it turns out very bad. And a simple example of this is electricity. Electricity is a very good thing and powerful thing if you revere it, right? It powers our devices. It gives us air conditioning. It dries our hair and it gives us hot water. But if you decide to dry your hair while you're enjoying the hot water in the shower, you're not revering electricity. And we'd chuckle because we'd say, well, that's just plain stupid. And that's the point. When we don't revere these commands of God, we are choosing something very bad over something very good, and we are being stupid. 
So as we go through these, and again, you may not have, have heard them in a while. This would be a great study for you to do personally and with a small group. Let's read through the Ten Commandments again. And if you're taking notes, just so you know, where's the other the time they're mentioned, and you can compare the two. The Ten Commandments are in Exodus 20 and also in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Some versions say, you shall have no other gods besides me. This is the first commandment. If you obey this commandment, you obey all the commandments. If you break any of the other nine, uh, ten commandments, you break this one. Because here God is saying, I am the only God and you will only have me as a God. Sometimes we hear this and we think, well, God wants to be first and the other gods can be two, three, four, and five. God's saying, no, I don't want you to have any other gods. Jesus uh, took this as the most important of the commandments, and he added in Deuteronomy, well, he, he, he blended in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and your strength. Now think about that. If you love God with all your heart, your mind, and soul, and strength, and that's just about all that we are, what's left to love another God? nothing. <laughs> Verse 4, you shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or on the waters below. It's most likely that the second commandment, do not have idols, is really truly referencing not other gods because he's taken care of that in the first command, but remaking God in our image. We talked about this a few weeks ago. An idol is when you take what God is supposed to be and you reshape it to how you want God to be. So when we make God a Republican, or when we make God a Democrat, when we make Him a liberal, when we make Him a conservative, when we make God a permissive, that we can do whatever He wants, lets us do whatever we want, when we, make, when we make God full of wrath, that He's just looking for us to mess up so we can toss some bad things into our lives, we are re shaping the true image of God, and we are making idols. Oops. Verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Jesus taught this passage as well. We say it more than we realize it. <laughs> Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed. Holy, honored be your name. Do we recognize the holy, loving creator of the universe and heavenly father every time we say the word God? Every time we say Lord? Every time we say Jesus? Are we obeying this command? You hear me there? Because it comes out a lot in our world and, and people's language. Verse 8, uh, commandment number 4, remember the Sabbath, cease labor, uh, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I'll just read verse 8 there. We are to stop working, and we are, in essence, to rest. On that day was a day that you ceased working, and you trusted God to provide for you. The Sabbath became a sign. In the Old Testament, it was the sign that the people of God belonged to God. It was a sign to all the other nations. How do we know they belong to God? Because they rested on the Sabbath. They ceased their labor on the Sabbath. So here's a great question to ask. 
Do your friends, do your neighbors, do they know who you belong to? (laughs) Are you giving God a day, a week to cease your labor and to gather together and worship Him? Who do people think you belong to? And by the way, Jesus honored the Sabbath. All right, commandment number five is found in verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And the Apostle Paul pointed out this is the only commandment uh, listed here with a, with a promise. I thought I'd hear all the parents here go, amen. The reason, listen, the reason God wants children to honor their parents, and when you read this, don't think of just little children. I mean, the range is little child to adult child. The reason is it was the parents' job to pass on the teaching of God and the ways of God to their children. That's the reason that God wanted them to honor their parents. If you don't believe that's true, uh, read through Deuteronomy 4 and, and, and chapters 4 and 5, and you'll see that was God's design. The parents would pass on faith in Him to their children. They are to teach and show, pass on God's ways. This is how we honor God. So back up to the, to the previous ones. It's the parents' job to say, you're not going to have any other gods. No other gods in our house. It's the parents' uh, job to, to say, you're not going to reshape the image of God. It's the parents' job uh, to say that uh, you're not going to misuse the Lord's name. You will go to church with us on Sunday. We will celebrate a Sabbath in this household. That was what the commandment meant. Number six. Verse 13, and by the way, now starting in, in, in uh, the sixth commandment, we, we get to those commands that are for community. And the first one is this, don't murder. Now, we have the blessing of having God, not re-explain, but furthermore having explained this, some of these to us. When I say God, you know I mean Jesus. And Jesus said of do not murder, he said, uh, he showed us that to hate someone is to murder. So if we think or we say, I hate that person, Ooh, that's, that's used a lot. Or I can't stand. What's the difference between I hate and can't stand? Hey, no difference. <laughs> I can't stand that person. Or that person's an idiot. Again, Jesus talked about that. Jesus says that's murder. Verse 14, the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. You could say this another way. Don't mess with marriage. And Jesus went on to say, this means you shouldn't even lust after someone else. This means you shouldn't be looking at things that cause you to lust after someone else. This takes away one of the biggest money-making things in our culture today, pornography. The pornography industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. Verse 14, number 8. You shall not steal. Don't steal. Don't take something that doesn't belong to you. And this includes the IRS. (laughs) The one exception we tend to make when it comes to these commandments. Number 9 is in verse 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. This means do not slander. Yes, do not lie is a part of this, but it's really do not slander another person. Do not start gossip and do not continue gossip. Do not make false accusations against another person. And finally, 
Number, uh, the Tenth Commandment's in verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Oh, that one's easy, because my neighbor doesn't have an ox or a donkey, so it doesn't apply to me. Uh, a lot of, uh, uh, when I see on the walls Ten Commandments, they just sum, in, sum, sum this one up simply, don't covet. You cannot have a heart that is thankful to God. We're just saying praises of thanksgiving to God. You cannot have a heart that is thankful to God and at the same time wanting what others have. Well, they have a better phone. They have a better career. They have a better paycheck. They have a better family. They have a better house. They have better shoes. All these things. And when your heart is full of coveting, then it is impossible for that same heart to be thankful for what God has. You're blinded to what God has provided to you. Now, as you hear these Ten Commandments, I just want to ask you to pause for a moment. Some, sometimes you hear some of these, and I know for me there was at least one, and you feel a check in your spirit. You may feel your heart burning a little bit, or this one is standing out to you. That is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Don't run from it. Revere it. Listen to what God is saying to you. This is an area of your life He is wanting to work on. Don't plug your ears, but rather revere. They are hard to hear. That's why, that's one of the reasons that the Israelites didn't want God to speak. These were hard to hear. And the reason they're hard to hear is because they rip away our rulership. And they transfer the rulership of our lives to God. Amen? All right. So we have one more passage we're going to look at this morning and one more point. So turn to Deuteronomy. And if you have your Bibles open, it's easy to get to. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You almost think they should have called them Numbericus and Deuteronomicus, but it's just Numbers and then Deuteronomy chapter 4. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Where are your Bibles, people? Open your Bibles. Get a Bible. Find a Bible. Beg somebody for a Bible. Some of you carry more than one to church. That's cool. Just in case you got your backup Bible, right? Or you're alone to a friend. So look at verse 4. So in Deuteronomy, we're at the second generation. They're getting ready to enter the promised land. And now Moses is reminding them of the Ten Commandments. In, in chapter 5, he'll do that. We're just going to read two verses. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Now Israel, Moses is speaking this time, not God. In Exodus 20, it was God. Now it's Moses. Now Israel, here are the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Okay, stick in verse 1. Follow them. What are we supposed to do with the commandments? Learn them, hang them on the wall, memorize them, all good things to do. Follow them. They were given to us to follow. Why? So that. That's big. Anytime you see the term so that, or most times you see the term so that, it's a big term. It, it means that what's to follow brings, uh, uh, or what came before brings about what's to follow. Why do we follow the Ten Commandments? So that you may live. What's the secret to life? Memorizing the Ten Commandments. What's the secret to life? Hanging them on the wall in your homes. No, what's the secret to life? Following, living the Ten Commandments. So that 
you may go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God, the God of your ancestors, has given you. Verse 2, do not add to what I commanded you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I gave you. Listen carefully. We can mess with the commands. We have that power. We can mess with them. We can add to them. Well, yeah, God said this, but you also need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do that. That's one of the, the, the critiques of the holiness movement, which is a good critique. We can also subtract from the commands. Yeah, that, that one, that doesn't really apply anymore, or that's a little bit different because of the day and age we live in. We are not to add or subtract because the danger is you can lose them. Whoever thought you could lose the commandments of God? But how many of us would admit that it's been a long time since we even read through the Ten Commandments? We'll find out in the series, and you can look ahead if you want. There was a time that they literally lost the law of God in the Old Testament. I mean, they lost. They had no Bibles. They only had one Bible, and it was gone. They lost it. You're only told to keep, to watch, to hold fast to something that is, can be lost. And we see here you can lose these by adding to them or subtracting or thinking they don't really matter anymore. And we'll see in this series that Jesus even says that they matter. Don't rewrite them. Don't reduce them. Revere them. What's so bad about losing God's law? Here's point three. The rule, final rule this morning. You don't break God's rules. They break you. You don't break God's rules. They break you. These are rules written by the creator of the universe, our Savior, motivated by love so that we follow them so that we can live, have life. They are rules that apply to our behavior, to individual behavior. They're not meant to take and say, well, this should be the law of the land. They're meant and take and to say, this should be the law of my heart. Read Ezekiel uh, somewhere in the 30s where God says, these laws I'm going to write on your heart. Here's what's fascinating about these. These laws from God, these commands of behavior have zero exceptions. They can be applied to all places, in all times, in all situations without any exceptions. That means if you were to go into the future, by you had a time machine, right? or you go into the past, whatever, but you go into the future, these laws would still apply. If someday we find uh, life in the universe and there's a, a whole other planet out there with, with people and civilization, these laws will apply to those civilizations. Always and forever and in every culture and nation and situation throughout time, they apply. Because if you break them, you can't break them really, they break you. And so as an example, this, you cannot break the law of gravity. Now, instantly I got my smart people here who say, well, you can break the law of gravity. Airplanes do that. Actually, no. Airplanes follow the law of aerodynamics, and without gravity, airplanes couldn't fly. You can't break the law of gravity. You say, well, I'm going to try. So you climb up to a 100-story building, you jump off, and you feel like, see, I'm doing it. <laughs> For a short amount of time, it feels good, the wind's going through your hair, but you're going to come to a sudden stop because you cannot break the law of gravity. And the same applies to all of God's laws. They are unbreakable. If you break one and you realize nothing bad happens to you, you think, see, 
It's not real, but you, just like the person falling uh, from a 100-story building, you are now on a path to death. And on that path, there is discouragement, there is disappointment, there is despair, there is depression, there is destruction. And at the end, there comes death because you can't break the laws of God. My life, my rules do not lead to freedom. They don't lead to happiness. It doesn't even lead to what we want. But when we abdicate the rulership of our lives and strive to live not only by God's rules, but with Him as our ruler, when we follow His commands, then we realize and have life. So two questions, or one question, one challenge as we uh, close this morning. The question is this, and it's in your notes. Is there a rule? I probably should have capitalized that. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Is there a rule you are pretending to break that's actually breaking you? When we went through that list, or if you were reading through it on your own, is there a rule you're pretending to break, but it's truly and actually breaking you? And the challenge is this. Which of the Ten Commandments needs to become your rule? Which of the Ten Commandments have you, have you forgotten or lost? And it needs to become your rule. Amen? Do you stand with me as we, we, uh, we close in, in prayer? One of the things we'll see in this series is that Jesus did not get rid of the Ten Commandments. He upheld them <laughs> because he knew what was already true. He had, he had said it. Follow these and you will live. Let's pray. Gracious, almighty God in heaven. We confess, dear Lord, that um, we are sinners. We confess, God, that uh, we easily forget your good, life-giving ways. We confess, dear God, that uh, we think we have things figured out. We think we are, are smart. and um, Like the, the serpent in the, the garden, we're crafty. We come up with ways to add to or, or ways to subtract from, and really we're just trying to escape to run from your life-giving commandments. So, Father, we pray, renew our reverence for you, that we would know the God of the universe, that all his words, that these ten commands you have given us are for our life. Give us reverence for you. Grant that we might renew our commitment to you as our ruler. Help us to abdicate the throne of our lives and surrender to you and make you our ruler. And Father, this morning as we've read through, as we are pondering the Ten Commandments, there's a commandment here that we are breaking and that we need to repent for. Just take time to do that right now. Lord, forgive us. Cleanse us. Restore us and help us to obey. There's a commandment here. You realize I need to make that a rule of my life. And we pray that with the help of your Holy Spirit, we will follow all of these commandments. These things we pray in the name above all names, in Jesus' name, amen.